I remember staring at the roof in this corner, just thinking, don't hit the roof, don't hit the roof. Like as I was approaching this roof and as I drew closer and closer, I hit it and I hit it hard and I crashed. And looking back at this experience, I realized I was looking at my fears and my doubts and my worries and everything that was stressing me out. That's what I was staring at. That's what I was focused on this in, in this track. And I hit it, I nailed it. And I realized that I needed to focus my sights on where I wanted to go rather than where I didn't want to end up. I realized that where you look is where you go. And the importance of setting goals each and every day where I wanted to end up. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw, your host and founder. Thank you very much for taking the time to tune in to join us this week for our little podcast. We can't do this without you, and uh, you're a huge part of the community. Very excited for our show this week. Uh, before we get to that, of course, just want to remind all of you to visit us at thisweekinmormons.com. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. You know, if you're, if you're at the website, there'll be subscribe buttons for Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you get your podcasts. Please hit that subscribe button and please leave us a review. We really appreciate that. It helps us be strong and present in all things. Likewise, join us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us on all of those where we engage in merriment and thoughtful debate about the issues of the day. And a big shout out, of course, to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you all very, very much. P-A-T-R-E-E-O-N dot com slash This Week in Mormons, where you can pledge $2 a month. Just $2 a month. That's it. And uh, that'll help us keep the lights on. Really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And uh, speaking of being present, that's a great segue into this week's guest, someone who is no stranger to goal setting, to keeping the eye on the prize, and to being in the moment. Uh, Noel Pekaspace, of course, is a famous former Olympian in the sport of skeleton, which we'll get into if you're not really familiar with how skeleton works, or especially because you might think, isn't it just luge in a different position? Alas, it is not, and we will come to obtain that knowledge. Uh, Noelle grew up in Orem, Utah, graduating from Mountain View High School. She was involved in many athletics from a young age, uh, soccer, basketball, softball, track and field, bobsled, and eventually got into skeleton. Uh, She ran track and field at Utah Valley University, from which she obtained a degree in community health. And she also broke UVU's jump record. She was also the first woman ever to win the overall World Cup title in skeleton. Now, she was a favorite to win gold medals much earlier in her career, going back even to the 2006 Winter Olympics. But tragedy ensued, and her story is one of overcoming uh, disappointment and loss and uh, and how we rise above those things, and we have a great discussion about that. We also take the time to talk about what's it like being a female athlete in a Latter-day Saint space. Are there people who expect certain things of you? Are there people who disapprove of you essentially being a working woman? Uh, or at the same time, are you a role model whether you want or don't want to be? You know, how, how much is on you as a public figure to set an example for other Latter-day Saints? Noelle's a wonderful guest, and we have a terrific discussion about how we can set goals, how we can be focused, how we can truly uh, rise above even our own inadequacies and become better people by being much more intentional about the things that we do. And of course, you can visit her at noelpikespace.com and see what's going on with her and as well as see some of the programs, public speaking opportunities, uh, and various modules that she and her husband Jansen are involved with. So without further delay, let's get into this week's wonderful interview with Noelle Pikespace. All right, everybody. So we're really thrilled this week to bring to the Twim Studio an Olympic legend. We're really happy to get this one. Noelle Pikes Pace is with us. Noelle, it's very nice to have you. It's nice to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Real pleasure. This is fun. So Noelle's people reached out to us and uh, mentioned she might be a good guest for the show. And we're like, absolutely. We talked about you, uh, you know, back in 2014, especially during your famous experience at the Olympics. And uh, it's pretty fun to bring this all full circle now. I guess about seven years later, Sochi was, I think, what, February of 2014? Yeah, February, yeah, so. February 14th. Nice Valentine's Day surprise there. Oh, so like... <laughs> You remember the date exactly. Who knew? Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for joining us. Out of curiosity, this is just me being a goon. Picus, is that like Lithuanian or Latvian or something? Way to go. It's close. It's Slovenian. Uh, most of my ancestors came from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, and it actually used to be Pikush. And then once uh-huh. they came over on the boats and made it over here to the United States of America, they changed their name The when they signed in the name that yeah. people couldn't pronounce it. So they switched it to Picus. Oh, have you been yeah. to Slovenia? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah it's, actually, there, yeah. it's like it's probably my favorite country I've ever visited. So that's serious. Oh, it's beautiful. It's we beautiful. actually my my mom is a huge uh, ancestry guru. Well, my dad is too, but my mom really takes it by the horns. And so we went to cemeteries and found some ancestors, and we actually ended up going and knocking on some doors of people with the last name Pikush, and they let let us in, gave us wow. some big hugs, and we had dinner with them, and they didn't speak a lick of English, and we didn't speak a lick of Slovenian, and it was just a great, 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 that's amazing. Great um, it was fun. Was this like in villages or was it in Ljubljana, the capital area? No, it was in I a little could, village, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A little village next to, we had found the cemetery and found who they were related to. And and um, it was just a really cool experience. It's It's been fun. That's amazing. So I get you and now the former first lady. We've got two famous Slovenians <laughs> and many others, of course. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. So you you raced racing, I guess it's the right way to yeah, say Yeah, racing, it. yep skeleton and of course you um just tell us about how does one get into skeleton in particular that's a very yeah doesn't everybody particular sport right yeah i thought everybody dreamed of throwing themselves down (laughs) (laughs) 90 miles an hour you know um no for me it was really just right time right place it's not one of those things that you grow up like hoping to do you know it's not one of those things that you're just like oh one day i'm gonna be a skeleton athlete Uh, i was actually 15 years old running track and field um, in Orem, Utah. And it was just before the 2002 Winter Olympic Games and just really right time, right place. My coach happened, my track and field coach in in high school happened to be helping out with the bobsled program in Park City, Utah, which was about an hour away from me where I grew up. And so he came, I remember him showing up one day um, and just saying, hey, Noel, do you want to go up and try bobsledding? They're trying to find track and field athletes that want to try this, some youth that want to try this. And I was like, bobsledding? Like, what's that? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like cool runnings, the movie is all I knew about it. And so, um, yeah, I went up and I tried bobsledding. I fell in love with it. It's like a little car thing. And you go down the icy mountain, down this track on the side of an icy mountain. And then a year later, they took away the bobsled funding. And so they oh. said, well, we have this little cookie sheet thing you want to try, you know, do you want to try this? And yeah, a little cookie sheet. So you run, you jump onto this little cookie sheet and go head first with your arms to your side, your feet together and pointed and your chin less than an inch off of the ice going 90 miles an hour. And I just fell in love with it. I just fell in love with it. The speed, the thrill, the technique involved. I just loved skeleton from, from the get go. It was fun. And is there any reason, like, I know skeleton, and this is something I've learned in researching this, um, skeleton and luge do not even use the same types of sleds, if that's... No. Can I call them sleds officially as a sled? Yeah, good job, Jeff. Um, You've done some research. I'll try to do a little bit. So what, just any reason why skeleton and not luge any, I mean, since they are similar, but still different. Yeah. Similar. Um, I've actually never tried luge. Um, and they are, they are similar because so for luge, for those listeners that don't know, luge, you're laying on your back in kind of a little, it's, it's like a kind of little bowl type of sled. Like it kind of encases you and skeleton is, and and it's very lightweight. A luge sled is extremely lightweight, maybe, maybe 10, 15 pounds, 20 pounds. And a skeleton sled is flat. It's, it really is like a cookie sheet with blades on the bottom and um, it weighs 65 to 80 pounds. So it's super heavy, just super flat. Um, so the difference is in steering and you're laying on your stomach. So luge, they lay on their back and they paddle with their hands and then they lay, lay down, they do it singles or doubles. Two people go down, which I think is very awkward. I know, and, then they do, <laughs> and then they just do single, um, skeleton run, sprinting fast at 40 meters and then jump onto your yeah. stomach. So totally different, but no, I just never tried it. It was, I just was hooked on skeleton. I can't imagine what the rush is like when, I mean, of all the ones you could do between bobsled, luge and skeleton, I feel like skeleton, I think skeleton's the slowest technically, but I feel like it'd be the most intimidating because your face is, like you said, at first, less, less yeah. than an inch off the ground. Yeah, does that make it, I was gonna say, does yeah. that make it any easier if you wipe out because you're like so low, no. there's not much impact and you just kind of slide? It's really bad because our sleds are so heavy. So, mm-hmm. you know, none of them are fun. And when we talk about, you know, the speed of the sport, so we're talking within one mile or two miles an hour difference wow. okay. in speed so when you're going 90 miles an hour in a bobsled a four-man bobsled because they're they have about 1600 pounds of weight when you're putting in all the guys in there and and the bobsled itself you know they're going maybe 
three to four miles an hour faster than us. Luge usually goes one to two miles an hour faster. So it's just not a huge difference. But right. um, the crashes, no matter who you are, what you're doing, it's bad no matter what. Because you, you crash in a bobsled, a lot of times you get pinned under the weight of the sled, which is really bad. In luge, if you crash, a lot of times they fly out of the sled because their sleds are so light yeah. that they can, They I've seen I, it's happened where they can fly out easier. And skeleton, it's a 70 pound sled coming, crashing down on top of you. And I've seen some huge, horrible so it's just never it's never a pretty sight to see any crashes on any of those sports <laughs> oh geez so it's like i mean because yeah you were doing track and field you could have avoided all of this and just enjoyed the <laughs> fine world of jumping and running but instead you chose to have sleds come and assault you and did, you, did i read correctly that your husband actually made your sled yeah he did, he did. and that's the one you had in sochi as well that, that's yeah the- so he created he designed and built um, my sled for the 2010 winter olympic games in vancouver canada um and then again at another one for Sochi, Russia in 2014. So, um, it was a really, it was really a family endeavor. Um, going into the 2010 games, the sled that I was on previously, it kept bending and breaking and and I just had issues with it almost at every single competition. There was something that needed to be fixed on it. And so, um, after the 2009 world championships, my husband and I, and he knew my sled was damaged and slipping, shipping in the airplane. And he said, you know what, I'm just going to design you one. I'm going to design you a sled. And I kind of laughed at like, yeah, people don't just design sleds. Like, you know, that's like making your own, you know, shoes or something. I don't know. A tennis racket. I don't know. And, uh, he said, no, I'm going to do it. He has a background in 3d design on the computer. So he was working in a steel fabrication shop. He's a project manager there. And so he had the tools and the knowledge necessary. He just needed to study that thousand page specification book and he did it. And he did an amazing job. It was, it was great. Wow. What are they actually made out of? This, oh, the, I mean, you have the rails, but... So the inside like? of it, the skeleton part of the skeleton sled, the inside of it um, is actually steel. And there's steel crossbars, like so that they're they're located exactly at your shoulders and then at mm-hmm. your knees so that you can torque the sled. So that's actually our steering bars is where right below our knees and shoulders. Um, so it has a steel frame and then it has a, usually a, some, t- some people have fiberglass on the bottom, but we, I used carbon fiber on the bottom of my sled. Um, and then on the top, it's really high tech. We have a yoga mat <laughs> and gaffers <laughs> tape <laughs> to hold it all together. So, I mean, from the top layer of it. So yeah. Wow. And then the, the blades are, are a different type of um, steel, a composite of steel that's specific to the to the sled. So that's crazy. So so you fell in love with the sport around 2002. What what is just for? I think everyone wonders about this. What is the process then to become a professional? I want to call you a Skeletor for He-Man <laughs> reference, but I don't think that's what it is. But you know, a professional skeleton athlete or or any other Olympic athlete for that matter. I mean, what is the process to have a career in this and then eventually become an Olympian? And like, what lessons do you learn along the way? Yeah. Wow. That was like five questions, but I can, yes. I, let's see if I can do this, Jeff. Let's see if I can do this. Um, so the process to really reach the top, um, you, you really need to be ranked top three in the U S is really what you're aiming for because the top three, if you're beyond the top three in the United States of America, you, or even two really, um, you're, you won't make the world cup team. And that's the team that everybody's shooting for. The world cup team is the varsity team of athletics. Um, if you're ranked fourth or fifth, you're going to be on intercontinental cup, which is like JV. And then there's like a a sophomore class and a freshman. There's all these different levels of teams. So you really want to be in the top three in the U S and then, um, from there, your goal is to consistently, well, my goal, my goal for years was consistently to be in the top six at every world race. And that didn't just happen. You can't just say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be in the top three and then I'm going to be in the top six in the world. Um, It's really, so a lesson, you asked what the lessons were and probably one of my biggest lessons um, came from a massive crash in Altenburg, Germany. It was in Eastern Germany um, and our team had just shown up uh, to this race. It was my, I was a rookie. It was my first year on world cup. I made it onto the world cup team, um, three years after I started the sport, which is crazy fast. Usually it takes you quite a bit longer than that to make it onto the world cup team, but circumstances and, and, uh, you know, it, it led me to be on that team, which was awesome. But I remember going to this track in Altenburg, Germany, and all of my teammates were saying, Oh, this track is so hard. Oh my goodness. You're going to crash. You're going to flip. You're going to get hurt. And um, sure enough, that day in training, I flipped, I crashed, I got hurt. 
And um, it was a, it was it was definitely an eye opener for me. I remember looking back and because um, my goal was to cross the finish line, like I just really wanted to cross the finish line and be the first one. Down. So everybody was crashing that day, even the veterans, like the ones that had been there for time after time after time. Everybody was crashing that day on this track in Germany. And um, I was determined to cross the finish line. And I was holding on really tight to my handles. And despite the fact that I did this, I flipped over onto my back. My 65 pound sled came crashing down on top of me and I lost the wind. The wind knocked got not, got knocked out of me so yeah. ultimately my run was over and i remember looking back and just thinking man like that was really scary first of all that was super scary uh but second what can i learn from this like how can i never how can i never go through this experience again what can i change in my actions that can help me to change this and i remember looking back and thinking about why i crashed and i was staring at the roof. So I ultimately hit the roof in this corner. And I remember staring at the roof in this corner, just thinking, don't hit the roof, don't hit the roof. Like as I was approaching this roof and as I drew closer and closer, I hit it and I hit it hard and I crashed. And looking back at this experience, I realized I was looking at my fears and my doubts and my worries and everything that was stressing me out. That's what I was staring at. That's what I was focused on this in, in this track. And I hit it. I nailed it. And I realized that I needed to focus my sights on where I wanted to go rather than where I didn't want to end up. I realized that where you look is where you go. Mm. And the importance of setting goals each and every day where I wanted to end up. I wanted to be very intentional with my time and very intentional with each practice and very intentional with my talents and my skills and what I could do. And so once I was able to narrow it down and really pinpoint the areas of focus, I just kept it to three things, three things I wanted to improve upon. And then I'd go back every single day and reflect how they went and how I could improve and what I needed to do better and where I maybe needed to continue to work on. So huge learning experience, huge lesson learned, just yeah. focusing on what you want out of life rather than what you don't want and, and seeing the light, seeing the gratitude, seeing the hope and, and working hard to achieve it. Wow. That's amazing. Is that, and is it a, is it a livelihood at that point in time when you're, if you're on the world uh, cup know, skeleton tour, is that a, it like became a, job? a livelihood for me probably once. Um, and I love all your lingo, by the way, Jeff, it's awesome. Skeletor, skeleton, skeleton. <laughs> it's awesome. What did I, I, say, it. what did I say this time? I thought I just said skeleton. skeleton. I don't know. What I think it's great. I love that name. Skeletor. Um, uh, yeah, but it became a livelihood. Um, it really didn't. Being an Olympian is not the way. I would never recommend somebody to say, yes, for your livelihood, you should be an Olympian because it really pays off. I would never, ever <laughs> suggest that because you go far more into debt than you could ever make in, in a crazy sport like this. Like I'm sure we put, I don't even know how many thousands of dollars we put into it and thousands of hours of time before yeah. we even saw a penny. So um, it's definitely not the for the high life. But um, I really, it really comes once you start getting corporate sponsors and that doesn't happen until you're at least ranked prop usually, usually to get it so that it's actually paying for everything that you're doing. You need to be at least ranked top six in the world. And then the closer you get to that number one spot, the more sponsorships that want to be there by your side, you know, during the duration of your, right. of your athletic right. career anyway. So, <laughs> wow. Stuff I just don't know about, you know, I, uh, I was in band in high school and I never planned on being a professional marching band person or anything. So I, you know, there's no corporate sponsors for that, at least that I'm aware well, of. I'm looking at you right now and I can see you have a guitar right behind you. I do. That's that awesome. is my, that is my janky PV guitar that my dad gave me like 20 years ago because I've never, or I'm going to blame it on my wife. I've never been allowed to buy the nice Epiphone I want to get, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I play music for other things. Yes, I do. It do looks music. awesome. So, it's, yeah. it's sweet. It's cool. It's fun. I, I, uh. I put took a sharpie to the headstock, which is why it's all black, so you couldn't see the words PV on it. If you're not familiar with PV, it's more of an entry level brand of guitar. Oh, that's great! Hey, <laughs> so, why are you? You don't need to share that. Sh you could just like let us. You know, I can just see it. It looks amazing. I don't, I I don't just, even know it. I feel comfy with you, Noel. I'm I'm emoting. <laughs> I'm letting it. Out. That's um, great. So so famously, you were preparing to go to the 2006 games, right in Turin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, and by then you were essentially, were you top ranked in the world at that time? You I were was, I was ranked favored, first yeah. in the world. Yeah. First in the world going into the 2006 games, um, and stoked to, it would, it would be my first, you know, first chance to become an Olympian and I was going into it ranked first in the world. So, um, yeah, I was, I was stoked. And then things didn't quite go according to plan though. If history, they did not. this was kind of a pivotal moment for you. As they rarely do, you know, you look back at the pandemic and I don't think looking into, you know, January 1st of 2020, I don't think anybody 
could have foreseen what would have been in, you know, looking back at 2021, January 1st, looking back, I don't think any of us could have foreseen that coming. And that was really my case going into the 2006 Olympic Games into Van- into uh, Torino, Italy. Um, I was ranked first in the world on fire, just doing so good, so, so good, like mentally, physically, spiritually, in all aspects. I just felt like I was, I was there, like in the moment, you know, when you talk about uh, you know, athletes talk about this often and frequently about being in the zone, what that means. And for me, man, I was there. Like I just, I wasn't distracted by anything. I wasn't, I wasn't swayed by anything. I was just, I knew what I needed to do. I knew how to give it a hundred percent. I knew how to, um, learn from my failures, learn from my successes. I was just, I was there ready to take on the world. And at our Olympic trials during a training run, um, to make this Olympic team during our practice run, a bobsled was sent down the track after five of us skeleton athletes had gone down and we were down at the bottom of the track waiting for a truck to come and pick us up, to take us Mm -hmm. back up to the top of the track, up to the top of the mountain. And, um, a bobsled was sent down with a rookie driver and rookie brakeman. It was a four man bobsled and the brakeman had never been in the bobsled before. So he didn't know he was supposed to pull the brakes. Uh, Somehow he missed, they missed that conversation and uh, they crossed the finish line and the brakes were never applied. And they came flying out of the end of the track and ran into us. They might, I was in the back of the pack of my skeleton athletes, my skeleton teammates, and um, they were able to get out of the way. But since I was at the very back, I took one step to jump out of the way and the bobsled hit me from behind and I sustained a compound fracture of my right leg. So my, my bones were sticking out of my leg, which wasn't a pretty sight, um, to see. And, uh, and it shattered my leg and it shattered my Olympic dream. So in a split second, I went from being first in the world to not even having, not even being able to go to the Olympics. And, um, that was quite, quite the experience in my life of talk about a learning experience, you know, and it's, it's like we just mentioned with the pandemic, you know, sometimes you get blindsided and the, the, the lesson I learned from this is that, you know, looking back and even through it, I realized that we always have a choice. We always have a choice to make. We always can choose whether we look back and say, what if, what if I could have just had this life would have been so much better if this had happened, man, imagine where I could have been if it didn't, if this didn't go wrong, you know, and you can look back and put blame and be upset and get caught up in all the negativity going on around us. Cause there's so much of it in the world today. So, so much. It's so easy to find those voices of, um, that cloud our minds, cloud our hearts and, blind us to light and truth. And so, and I realized that in 2006, after I missed on this Olympic dream, um, realizing that I still had a choice. I could choose which voices to listen to. I could choose which light or darkness to let into my life and where that, where I would draw the line. And so once I decided that and realized, it was really just being aware of it and recognizing that we always have a choice. It, it changed everything even though I, despite missing out in the Olympics and yes, it was devastating. And yes, it was hard. I still knew that I need, I still knew I had a bright and hopeful future and I just needed to take steps necessarily in this moment. I can't look back to yesterday and what might have been, but I can yeah. start today and look ahead and say, okay, I'm here now. And now where do I want to go? And then take those steps necessary. So it changes everything. Did you think about hanging it up at that point in oh, time? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh yeah, I uh, I <laughs> talked about it many many times, just saying I'm done. Like throwing my hands in the air, like I can't do this. Like I can't, I just can't. Like I'm done. I put everything into this and it's over. And um, it really that that next summer. Um, so that was in October of 2005 that I got hit, and I watched as my competitors competed in the Olympics. It was so so hard. My family all had tickets to Italy already because I was ranked first in the world and you got to get those tickets early. So we all went over there and I watched it from a TV screen watching who won gold, silver, bronze, and it was devastating. And so that whole summer, I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to go back to compete. And it was really my husband, Jansen. And he's like, you know, you're so good. Like, you're so good at the sport. You, you love it. Like, just go, go one more year just so that you can get back on that horse. So you don't have this like negative taste in your mouth, just in case, like, just give it a try. And sure enough, I went back one more year before taking a year off to have our daughter. Um, I went back one more year and I ended up winning the world championships by the largest margin in the history of our sport. So, you know, good things can come from, from the, the fire, you know, from the ashes. And it's just a matter of if we choose to let it light us up and bring that passion and that drive and that innovation and creativity, or if we allow it to stifle it. Yeah. 
Jansen seems like a good guy. I think he he's is. building his sleds. He's helping. How, how did you guys meet anyway? He's a good guy. He's a keeper. He's a good one. Um, so we met, uh, <clears throat> I was, I had just, gra- I was so young, you guys. I was so young. Um, I had just graduated high school, like literally just like one week earlier. And um, Jansen, he served a mission in Panama and he returned from his mission two weeks earlier. And we happened to end up at um, a church building on a Monday night playing basketball. <laughs> and I remember going into this basketball because I just, I just love sports and I was just up for anything. And somebody mentioned that some people got together on Monday nights at the local building and to play. And so I was like, I want to go. And I show up at the, this church building and I poke my head into the gym and I see that it's all guys, like all guys, like, and I'm like, ah, shoot, like, they never want to just play with like a girl. They're always like, you know, they're like, Oh, I don't want to foul you, you know, like, and I'm like, bring it, you know? And I was just like, poked my head again. I'm like, Oh man, I really want to play. Like, I don't want to just go home. And I poked my head in again. And I was like, Oh, there's a couple of cute ones. Okay. I'll stay. So, <laughs> that's like a totally true story. So <laughs> I even played basketball. We ended up hanging out like, and the ones that I thought were cute were him and his, he and his friend, um, him and his friend, he and his friend, my mom would kill me because she loves English. But anyway, the two of them were in there and um, we ended up hanging out all summer and then just started dating, dated for a year and then got married. So that's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I believe it would be he and his friend because they are the subject, not the objects in that thank sentence. You. He, thank the you. verb applies to them. They're my mom, well, thank you. Yes. Well, Anytime I answered the phone, it's like, this is she. I can't say this is her. This is me. This is no, this is she. Like <laughs> when I if I if I do that, if I answer and say this is he, I always feel pretentious. And I'm a very pretentious <laughs> person to begin with. So it's just it's just So what do you say? What do you say? Jeff speaking. Like <laughs> I, I really want to get into go for Jeff. I don't really even understand like that phrasing, but I love it from How I Met Your Mother when Barney does it and other people, awesome. you know, go for Jeff, go for Jeff, go for no Awesome, I love it. Do it, do it. <laughs> so, <with> it. <laughs> um, you competed in Vancouver as well, like you mentioned, of course. Yeah. Um, this one must have been tough because I think you were back in the game, but you were, I think, I don't remember how close, but you were just shy of the podium. Oh, that, just shy, just yeah, shy of the right? podium. It was, it was a tough one to swallow. So I came back and finished, you know, that world, that world championships in 2007, winning it. I took a year off and went on for my master's degree and had our first child. I had Lacey and then, um, went back to compete, but I was never quite, um, and Jansen could see this. I was so torn. I, now I'm a mom and I was just, I wanted to be home with my daughter, you know, now I'm leaving and she's nine months old and now I have to travel the world. And it's just not the same as it used to be. It just wasn't the same. And, uh, so going into the 2010 games i my will like my balance in my life my well-being was not was not circular it was not balanced and so like when i was home i felt guilty for not training when i was training i felt guilty for not being at home and i was just being pulled in so many different directions my coaches felt like i needed to put more there my family felt like i needed to put more there and so it was a really tough thing to um to try and figure out. And so when i went to the t- 2010 olympics in vancouver canada i went into it like I, I was dreading it as, as crazy as this sounds. Like I was just like, I just want to get it over with. Like, I just yeah. want to be yeah. done with it. Yeah. It's so weird. I know. I get it. But, um, I was glad to finally be an Olympian, but I just wanted this stress in my heart and in my chest. I just wanted it gone. Cause it was so stressful, so much pressure that I was putting on myself that my coaches were putting on to me. Um, it was just, I just felt overwhelmed. And so going into the 2010 games, I remember, in the months leading up to it, just saying the day that the Olympics happened, the day of my Olympic race, I'm retiring. I'm done. I'm never looking back. I'm done. Like I, I can't go through this again. And so after my Olympic competition, I crossed that finish line and I finished in fourth place. You guys, that's the worst. It's not second. Don't say second's the worst place. It is fourth place. Fourth place is the worst place you could ever finish um, in an Olympics. Gold, silver, bronze, nothing. Like you, fourth place is like where you just get a look back forever and just know everything you did wrong. And um, I missed it by a tenth of a second. After, after going down four times down a mile long course a mile long, 90 miles an hour, I missed it by a, less than a blink of an eye. Like you'd have to blink 10 times in a second. If you're listening, you can try this, whether you're driving in the car, if you're at home, if you're with your kids, whatever, try it, try and blinks, count how many times you can blink in one second, have someone time you and count how many times you can blink in a second. And you would have to blink 10 times in a second. And I missed an Olympic medal from one blink to the next. So close, so close. So, uh, 
I threw my arms in the air and said, well, I did my best. That was awesome. I am done. I'm out of here. See you later. And um, I retired just done and ready to spend time with my family, ready to be that full-time mom. And, um, and I, it was like this huge relief of just like, ah, yes, I'm going to go make strawberry jam. I'm going to (laughs) go make that t-shirt quilt I've always wanted to make. Like I'm going to do some things that I've been wanting to do for years and I haven't been able to. And, and I did, and it was fun. Two years of that. It was, it was great. I joined PTA, you know, that was great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's funny. You talk about pressure and I wonder, do you see any parallels between the pressures you felt as an Olympic athlete and sort of the pressures we place upon ourselves as Latter-day Saints. I mean, I think there is sort of a perfectionist streak that runs in our culture a lot of the time. Oh, I don't yeah, want to pick. Sure. I don't want to pick on Utah. But you're from Utah, where I think a lot of those those cultural things are exacerbated and magnified yeah, for sure. a lot. Um, I, yeah, go ahead, keep going. I was just going to say, like, like, I, I, do you see parallels there? And like, what, what's a healthy approach to like being competitive, sure. to not getting down on ourselves when we don't succeed? And how do we also balance that with our faith at the same time? How do we become better sure. Latter-day Saints and not? destroy ourselves. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, um, I've been studying when we are for our family, our family this year in 2021, we chose one word to focus on for our family, just one. Um, and the word that we chose is charity and, um, within charity, man, you can break it down. There's at least 13 different principles within charity that we've, that we've found. And, um, there's so many, if we just focus on charity, um, of loving ourselves first, and, and, um, you know, provoketh, you know, is not easily provoked, envieth not, um, and all these things that go into it, having patience and brotherly kindness, having all these things that, that bring charity into our life. I think we'd see so much good coming out of the, our world, out of our lives, out of our homes, within our families, within our kids. Um, if we just were able to first love ourselves fully, because a lot of times, even as an athlete, um, it's those insecurities that get us down. It's those insecurities that cause judgment and um, comparison. And and once, you know, as, as a rookie athlete, I felt like it was my duty to compare myself and to judge others and to put them in their place and to teach them how it's done. You know, it's like this, it's almost like this responsibility that I felt like, no, that you're doing it wrong. No, th- oh, look at them. They're not doing it right. Oh, look how they're, you know, just kind of this constant judgment and comparison. And as I grew in wisdom within the sport, I realized that it was never about that, ever about that. And um, I think a lot of times, a lot of times as, as individuals, as people, whether it, members of the church or not, um, but yes, there is, there is definitely a struggle with it within our culture. Um, we, we tend to compare ourselves way more than we ever should. And comparing brings judgment and judging others not only brings us down, but those around us as well. And so if we just expect the best from people and know that everybody's doing their best and we focus on ourselves and strive to do our best really that's when I realized that I could be an elite athlete. That was the, that was the difference between being a rookie athlete and being an elite athlete was that huge stepping stone of saying, what can I do to become better? They're doing the best they can. I hope they do their best and not really truthfully, not hoping they would crash, hoping not the worst for them, hoping just, just hoping that I could do my absolute best, hoping everybody could be safe, hoping everybody could give their best and that God would bless me along the way. And that's what it ended up turning to as I went into the 2014 Olympics, I could stand at that starting line with confidence and with hope and with love and without judgment or guile. And it was an incredible feeling at the 2014 games to be able to stand up at the top and just not focus on anybody else's competition. They're doing the best they can. Great. But I just need to focus on how I can improve and what I'm doing well and what I'm not doing so well. So give yourself some credit, love yourself, um, and, and just focus on where you can improve and let go of the judgments and comparisons. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, and you mentioned judging comparisons. I think being a Latter-day Saint woman and being a professional at anything sometimes can be an interesting place to operate. And you kind of hinted at that, like after you had your first child, your heart wasn't 100% in it and coming back to the, to the sport. Um, like, how has that been for you being a, a Latter-day Saint female athlete, someone in the public eye? Have you felt any of those pressures and judgments like you should not be doing this? You should be... Yeah. 
being in the PTA? <laughs> like you mentioned yeah, I, you know, I think there was a time, I think it was during the time of um, those insecurities of myself that I tended to see what other people thought more or, uh, or made assumptions, really, made assumptions of what people thought I should be doing or thought um, my, my place should be. And I did in the beginning when I was, uh, well, not even in the beginning, about 2005, 2006, 2007, in that time when I was f- first in the world, I really did have some people write to me and saying um, really some really mean letters, to be honest with you. It wasn't a lot of them, but there were those few. And we tend to focus on those few that have those judgments rather than seeing all the greatness that people are offering to us. And we tend to focus on the negativity, maybe a little more amplified than than not. And I remember a specific uh, email came to me at one point and just saying, how could you put your life at risk when you have a child. How, how dare you? You know, it's more like, and for them, it was more like, how could you do this as a mom? And I remember for a second, just being like, they don't even know me. Like, how can they, like, for me, this is really extremely safe to go down. It really is safe for me because I know my place. I can feel it. I know where I'm at. I could go down any track in the world because I'm, I've prepared for it. It's, you know, I'd, I'd be more worried about, you know, driving a car because now I have other people to worry about, you know? So exactly. for yeah. me, it's a very safe place, but they didn't understand that. And I remember having to have that humility and just my husband, Jansen, because I remember having tears in my eyes saying, you know, people are feeling like I shouldn't be doing this. And um, he had to say, you know, people are always going to judge people are, that's their, that's their thinking. That's their issue. It's not yours. I trust you. I know you're doing what you are very capable of doing and we've prayed about it. They don't have any clue what it's taken me to get there. So, um, yeah, there have been those moments, but I think now, um, you know, cause I do, I work out, I work uh, th- this, I do like full-time speaking, keynote speaking, developing courses. I do a lot of um, full-time mm-hmm. working. And, um, now I think it's quite a bit different than it used to be. I think things have changed quite a bit, especially now you bring the pandemic into it. And a lot of us are working from home, whether you're uh, female or male or what mom, dad, whatever that is, um, things are starting to look a little different, but I think hopefully, hopefully, and it's, this is really just my own, it's up to me to know this, that I have balance in my life with my kids, with my home, with my family. I can still make my strawberry jam if I want, you know, and help out with the kids' classes. And it really is a very individual thing. And it's never, never up to us. I love what what Elder Uchtdorf said when he said, um, um, for judging, when we're talking about judging others, he said, just stop it. Stop it. Just stop it right now, because you have no clue where those people have been and what they've gone through to get to where they are. And so um, I I love those words. So just uh, do the best you can. I appreciate that. Um, I remember when when you won the silver medal in Sochi, I believe you had the young women's medallion with you, right? If memory serves. Yeah. (laughs) Do you feel like when you're a public figure kind of like yourself and obviously you're, you're, you're working in motivational areas, you're helping people try to aspire to be higher and everything, but like, is it also hard? Do you feel like it's your responsibility to set certain examples for the young women since you're in this kind of a role? Cause we see a lot of other, we see other, other Latter-day Saint women who we've, I don't want to lean too much on the ridicule and the, and the, and the anger and the judging like we had just a few minutes ago, but you do see that where there's like a, there's a certain standard you're kind of held to that might be unfair or do you think it's unfair? Yeah, you know, at the beginning, um, I actually wore that young woman medallion. So yes, I did have it on. um, But I wasn't doing it for the eyes of the world, to be honest with you. Um, I at the time at that time during the Olympics, um, I was serving in a calling, I was the stake young woman's president. And um, what that means I was just over, you know, if there are those who might not know I was over a, a group of, of young women aged 12 to 18. And, um, and over the leaders within that area. And so when I we had this leadership training a year before the Olympic Games in 2014. And it was the general leadership training. Um, and Sister Elaine Dalton and her presidency and the board members were all serving and teaching us. And I remember driving up to Salt Lake with with the pre- with our, our, our stake and women's presidency. And we sat down and we listened as they taught us. And they said, if you have received your young woman medallion, pull it out, go dig it out. And if you haven't, take the time to earn it. And we want you to wear it. We want you to wear it so these young women, the young women in your stake can know where your sights are set so that they can know that you want to attend to the temple, that you're striving to be there, that you're striving to live your covenants and also the flame, that torch, um, that to be a light to the world. And so when we were asked to do that, our presidency um, in Eagle Mountain 
we committed Eagle Mountain, Utah, we just committed and we said, we're going to wear this all the time at all times, and all things, all places, just to show these girls that we are committed to where our sights are set. So I actually, for like a whole year, didn't take off that necklace. I just had it on um, and I put it under my speed suit and um, wear it down the track and, uh, and throughout all my interviews. And it was a great conversation starter. I realized going to many interviews and they'd say, oh, that's a really pretty necklace. What is that? And I'm like, well, let me tell you, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me tell you about this, you know, and it was a great conversation starter. And so when I um, was on the podium and um, that medallion could be seen, I honestly had no clue that the world saw. I had no clue there were images and pictures that showed me wearing this. It was just something that I was doing already, um, constantly just wearing it. And so when it wasn't until we flew back to the United States, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I saw your necklace. I knew you were a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And and so um, at that time they said, I knew you were Mormon, you know? Of course. <laughs> yes. But, yes. Um, but um, yeah, I just remember all these comments and just thinking, man, you know, that is just a testament to me that God knows us and he knows how we can use our talents because it wasn't necessarily that they saw me going down the track. Wow, what you did was amazing. What they saw was that I w had this necklace on on this podium. It didn't matter if I did biathlon or skiing or skeleton or or whatnot, but just that I was trying to stand as a witness of God. And um, anyway, I just felt like that was a testament to me that God knows us. And if we're striving to try and do all that we can to be the, you know, these great people that we can be, he will make up the rest. He'll make up the rest for us and um, help us to do his work along the way in whatever capacity that is, if we allow him to. So what led you back into it? After 2010, you were probably feeling pretty done with things, you know, and, uh, I imagine you've been in and out of the sport and I imagine that's not easy to sort of train in and out and get back up to, up to snuff. So what made you decide to go for it in 2014? Um, so honestly it was, it was a late miscarriage. So I had our little boy, um, in 2011. So Lacey was 2008, Trayson was 2009. And then I was pregnant with a little girl and her heart just stopped beating and they didn't know why. And so, following that miscarriage, I was devastated. Like I was, I was so, so, so sad and couldn't figure out how to just move forward. I couldn't see that hope of something to look forward to or, or where to go. I didn't, I didn't want to rush into getting pregnant again. Cause I was just really, I just needed time and space. And so my husband saw that and he knew, he knew that I still loved skeleton, but he knew my reason for stopping in two years previous. He knew it was because of circumstances. It was just being away from him, being away from Lacey. And now I'd have to be away from Trace as well, our two kids and him. And I just, there's no way, there was no way I could throw my, my life that far out of balance to be gone from them for months and months at a time after missing so many memories with them already. Um, and so he talked me into going back to compete and, um, and he, he brought up the fact, he's like, I know you love this sport. I know you still love it, but what if we could do this as a family? What if we could travel the world and, um, you know, I could come with you and Lacey and Trayson could come with you and we could just make it this huge family experience and just have a blast. Like from country to country, you train all along the way. I'll take care of everything. Don't worry about it. You just get back into training and focus on competitions. I'll take care of everything else. And I was just kind of in shock and a little blown away. Like, holy cow, that sounds like you know, uh, that sounds like a magical, you know, experience. Yeah. This sounds yeah. perfect. It would be picture perfect to be able to do this thing that I absolutely love. And I really was really good at it before I left. And, um, and I I'm not saying that to boast. It was just in the rankings and the scores. And, um, anyway, so I, I just, I said, yeah, let's, let's go for it. Let's try this. It took him a little bit of convincing, but, um, so yeah, I had been out of competition, out of training. I hadn't done like a single workout in like two years. I'm not kidding. Two years. Cause I was pregnant and then had a baby and then pregnant again. And then miscarriage, it was just like this constant change of body. And, um, so after this miscarriage at 18 weeks, I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's come back. And I'd waited a couple months and then I had like three months, four months. Let me think it was in April, May, June, July, August, September. So I had four months to get back into like Olympic competition shape. And so it was quite the, I had a great strength and conditioning coach and we, we did it. We made it back and made it onto that world cup team. And we ended up traveling the world for two years and talk about an experience of a lifetime. It was picture perfect. It was awesome. And what a capstone as well. It was a and I'm assuming, were you planning on just, you were retiring after Sochi, no matter what? Oh yeah, that was all along, all along. I knew coming out of retirement, I just said, okay, this is it though. Like 
win first, last, middle crash, like whatever happens in Sochi, like I'm done. Like I, I want to just change this chapter of my life. I don't want it to be that my kids are always following along and mom's coattail, you know, like always looking at her talents. I wanted to, Jansen and I are really, um, really, um, passionate about helping our kids to develop their talents and to find their skills and and to other youth, children and youth, and to help them to develop their talents and their skills. And I knew I wanted to close this chapter of my life and move on to another one. And it's been, I really have never looked back after that final run in Sochi, Russia, jumping into the stands, hugging, embracing yeah. my husband, embracing Jansen and our kids, um, because it was a journey with them and just shouting, we did it. It was never just me along the way, you know, my parents were there, my siblings, and it was, it took so many people, the community, the state of Utah, the country, just so many people uh, went into that, that moment and to, into that medal. So um, yeah, it, it was an incredible, incredible experience. And quite literally, have you not, have you been on a skeleton since nope. that, since then? No, I haven't. I literally like knew going into it, that was it. And I took that final run and um, I just, I really never looked back. It was just like, all right, fine. Oh man, that was amazing. Okay. Now what? And so, um, from that point, my husband and I, we wrote a bucket list, like just a couple weeks before we knew so, so, uh, like, you know, def definitively that that was it, that we created a bucket list and we said, okay, so that we never look back so that we're just done. Cause I really don't want to do this again. Um, we are creating a bucket list of just amazing things to look forward to in life, to hope for, to just experience, to see, do, be, um, have, uh, read, whatever it is that we want to do. We made this massive bucket list. And so we've just been checking things off ever since. So now we're, you know, what are we like seven years later, we're still just tackling this bucket list of just fun things to look forward to every year and monthly. And it's just been fun. It's been great. Yeah. It all seems very goal focused, which is kind of your, your, your mantra in many ways. And I mean, how do you achieve goals as a mom in particular? I mean, it, it, you have all these bucket list goals. You've got a growing family even since then. I mean, I watch my wife and she's very busy with our kids and, and the other things she likes to do. And I just can't imagine how you tackle so many things. Like, what do you, yeah. what do you say to them? Um, honestly, it's just, for me, it's, it's really about planning ahead. Um, and yes, things come up that take us out of our schedule, take us out of it. But I, I've never been a fan when people say, um, and sorry if you say this, but I've never been a fan and, or any listeners of saying, I just don't have time because we all have time. We all have 24 hours in a day. We're all given the same amount of time, but it's just what we choose to do with that time. So one of the things I choose not to do with my time is you don't see me on social media a lot. I mean, then that's, I'm not judging. There's no judgment, really. I just, for me, that was one way where I could gain 15 or 20 minutes a day of my life to put into what I intentionally want to focus on for a goal of my own to say, okay, I'm going to take my social media pages off of the front of my phone, like off of just my front screen of the phone. And I'm actually going to make it so I have to go looking for them. So I actually intentionally have to find any of my social media pages because I'm going to, I'm going to be on there for a purpose, not just to scroll and, you know, get, you know, use my time that way. So that's been a huge, huge way that I've gained time in my life. Um, but just making a plan. Um, I usually try to make a plan at the beginning of the month of like, okay, if I could accomplish these like five major things, I would look back at, at January or February, or March, or whatever month you're in. I would look back at that month and be like, wow, that was awesome. I got these five things done, these five big things. So then I break it down into the week. Okay, this week, which one of those do I want to focus on or which one should I start on? And then at the end of the week, I say, okay, I was able to do that. So it's just kind of constantly reflecting back and looking ahead and preparing. Um, but I found that I've gained a lot of time in being intentional with my time rather than um, just kind of letting it pass by. So even when my kids go to, so Trace and he's in archery, Lacey does pole vault. When they're at their events, I still have like a notebook, taking notes, planning out my day or reading a book or learning a skill. I'm, I'm constantly doing something unless I'm intentionally just sitting down to relax. <laughs> but I try, I try. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm coming across this. I like this. Like right now is my apportioned relaxed time. This is the point of, this is the, <laughs> that goal for the day. I have I'm 15. Coming across, yes. I'm coming across the sound like I've got it all together. I can tell you there are times when I'm just like throwing my hands in there and saying, Oh my gosh, like I'm done. Like I'm done. I'm just like going to go get in my car and drive to the parking lot of the park that's down the straight for me just so I can just breathe and gather my thoughts because there's way too much noise going on in the house and too much screaming. So right. trust me, I'm there with you too. I'm there with you. And is this, an, <laughs> is this, is your structure an example of life stacking? I know, tell us about life stacking. Oh, awesome. So yeah, life stacking. Um, I created a 12 week course to help individuals live on purpose. So 
This is really just where it begins is with mindset. That's the first principle to focus on and helping individuals too. So if you're stuck, if you're feeling stuck in life or you're feeling like, you know, man, I wish I had more direction. I just don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I could be doing more with my life. I feel like I could be doing more with my talents, but I just don't even know where to begin. I just feel stuck. If you're going through the routine of the day, waking up and going to work or or taking care of kids and then getting dinner ready and then going to bed and doing it all again the next day, that's what this course is for. It's to help individuals to, you know, figure out their mindset, to live on purpose, to find their life's purpose, uh, recognize their values, overcome failure and face their fears and dream big. There, there's a chance to create your own bucket list within it and take action. And um, it's just great. I'm really excited about 12 week course and um, you can find it on my website, wallpikespace.com. Thanks for cool. asking about that. Well, I mean, sure. It's for, you give us your time. I might as well just let you <laughs> plug with you. I think that this is a, a useful conversation, and it reminds me a lot about the importance of goals. Like we, when we were talking about right there, how you how you portion your time, how you're intentional with your time. Because yeah, totally. I mean, I find my you know you find yourself everyone's asleep. It's like nine thirty p.m. and all I want to do is just pop on something on Hulu yep. for twenty minutes and not worry about yep. it. But I know in the back of my mind, there's also something I could be doing that's more productive, and I think that's healthy as well. Because I remember I had a stake president um, growing up who famously only slept for like three or four hours a night, and his whole point of doing that was. This way I have enough time to do all the other things I want to do. Like he would wash his cars at one in the morning, which I don't, it worked for him. He was just a ball of energy. Um, But I don't, I don't necessarily endorse that for everybody else, but I think we can be more, uh, more intentional with our time and our, our discipleship as well. Right. I mean, we can't be haphazard with uh, how we, uh, how we engage with the Lord at the same time. Well, Noel, I know you got to go. You're a busy lady. There's lots going on, but um it's been really wonderful learning from you and from your experiences. Thank you so much for visiting us here this week in Mormons. Thank you so much, Jeff. Have a great day. All right. And that's going to wrap it up for us on another edition of This Week in Mormons. We hope this discussion with Noel Pikes Pace was enjoyable and insightful for you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Thank you for your support of this show. As I said on my Christmas card this year, I kid you not, may your masks fly as high as your dreams. That is my wish for all of you where wings take dream. Uh, But until then, have a terrific remainder of your week. Uh, We'll meet again next week and have more engaging news and guestish stuff happening. All kinds of fun things are happening, folks. But until then, may you be well, may you be holy, and may you be feliz. (laughs) 